Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I've always been fascinated with the brain, at least since I was a teenager. Neither one of my parents are doctors, so I had never really spent much time in hospitals before. I had never thought about medicine as a potential profession. But when I was around 13 or 14 years old, my grandfather had a stroke. We were very close. He was the natural storyteller in our family. He was the one always with the joke, always giving me a lot of advice. And I spent a lot of time with him in the hospital during his recovery. I think it was the first time I really saw what was happening in the brain. I saw, for example, that my grandfather could write, but could not read. He could speak, but he couldn't always understand. When I think about my chosen career of neurosurgery, operating on brains and spinal cords, It was because of that experience I had with my grandfather so many years ago that set me on this lifelong journey of exploration to try and better understand the brain. The brain is a complex organ, you know that, but it controls all of the functions in our body. It is the seat of our thoughts and our memories and our emotions. It is what makes us, us. And yet, it's also such a big mystery, arguably, the most enigmatic three and a half pounds of tissue that exists anywhere in the universe. Some joke that we know less about the human brain than we do the dark side of the moon. So for this third season of Chasing Life, we're going to explore how our brains intersect with different aspects of our lives. Think of it as your brain on blank, on love, on social media, even on pets. Today, we're going to look at your brain on the power of expectations, how changing your mindset can have a real impact on your physical and mental health. I know we all hope this year will be better than the last two. So let's see how we can harness the power of shifting expectations to help us accomplish our resolutions and tap into the brain-body connection to lead healthier and happier lives in 2022. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and it's time to start chasing life. In eighth grade, when I was really struggling in math class, and I thought that my brain just wasn't made for math and that it was just too hard. But then in the second semester, we started learning about having a growth mindset, and it ended up working. I was able to boost my grade to an A. I saw aging as a process of becoming increasingly less able, less vibrant, and less wholeheartedly engaged in life. Definitely not the life I was aiming for. Something shifted for me. I began to get curious about aging rather than judging it, resisting it, or otherwise messing with it. I work as an assistant principal at a local high school, and through COVID, 
it's easy to kind of get in that cycle of thinking negatively. And so what I do is I'm looking at challenges and looking at how I get the opportunity to help people. It's really a privilege, and that's how I'm shifting my mindset around it. When I was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer, it was one of the most difficult times of my life. You know, the first couple of days, I was just like, why God, why me, why me, why me? But then, you know, I changed my mindset. I said, okay, this is happening to me. I don't want to be depressed. I just want to be happy, and I want to be there for my kids. And I just want to, you know, show them that I love them every single day with whatever time I have. And here I am, three years later, four surgeries later, two rounds of chemo, and I am here, alive. It's often the problem is that our expectations are just needlessly negative. In the past, I had kind of assumed, and I think lots of people assume this, that if I was feeling anxious, I felt like I had to calm down or I would do a bad job. That's science writer David Robson. He used to have a terrible fear of public speaking. The thought would make him anxious. Now, what the research has shown is that actually you can just shift that mindset by telling people that actually anxiety can be in some cases, can be performance enhancing. You know, when your heart is racing, like that might feel uncomfortable, but it's pumping oxygen to the brain. So it actually makes your thinking a little bit sharper. This discovery altered David's expectations. So I just, you know, I kind of embraced the fear now. And actually, I I think now I would almost be worried if I wasn't feeling a tiny bit of anxiety um, before public speaking, because I would kind of think maybe I'm going to be too kind of drowsy, not enthusiastic enough, not have enough energy on stage, you know. In fact, this notion of changing expectations was so transformative for David that he decided to write all about it. His new book is called The Expectation Effect, How Your Mindset Can Change Your World. Here's how The Expectation Effect works. Our brains are fundamentally prediction machines. They take in all the information we see and hear and feel, and they combine it with past experiences and our assumptions to then decode what is going on. Our brains are doing this all the time. They predict and simplify our reality in the moment so we can get through the day. Now, these predictions by necessity will then affect how we interpret future events. It's a feedback loop. So, for example, if you have a negative association with public speaking, you're more likely to think that your racing heart and sweaty palms also means you're going to do a bad job. This may make us even more nervous and, well, more prone to mess up. But how about if we shift our expectations to believe this instead, that our racing heart means our brain is getting more oxygen and that's making us sharper and we're actually going to enjoy the experience even more? We're all suffering or experiencing expectation effects all the time. And put simply, it's, it describes this phenomenon where our beliefs shape and create a self-fulfilling prophecy, whether that's through our perception, our behavior, or even our physiology. If you could study the human body in its full capacity and, and study, you know, micro changes in hormone levels and muscle activation, all these things, would you ultimately be able to explain the expectation effect. I'll give you an example. I was trying to teach my daughter how to hit a golf ball. And it was interesting when I told her to start visualizing and imagine her hitting it, you know, towards a certain target. I noticed that her hand position changed a little bit. Her feet position changed a little bit. 
her left arm stayed a little straighter. You know, I guess what I'm saying is when you expect to do something, does it then lead to all these micro changes in the body, whether it be at the cellular level or the muscular level, whatever it might be? Or do you think this is mostly mental? We do know that there's the uh, mind-body connection, which isn't kind of mysterious or magical. It's just it's how it has to work. And that this is in itself changing our physiology. So to give one simple example of that, when researchers asked participants to kind of engage in an endurance test on a treadmill, and they told half of these participants that they carried a gene that made them especially good at exercise, you know, they were just going to find it a little bit easier. The others, they told them they had a kind of high-risk gene that meant that exercise was going to be more difficult for them, their endurance would be lower, they would feel more uncomfortable. Um, Now, what you found there was that actually that changed their subjective experience of the exercise along those lines, but it actually changed their physiology as well. So it actually changed, for instance, the efficiency of the gas exchange within the lungs. So that is coming from the brain's connection to the lungs itself and possibly the way they were exercising, you know, whether they were taking deeper breaths, for, for example. But yeah, like that's definitely having a physical objective effect on the body. It's not just subjective. Yeah, I got to tell you, you know, it's interesting. This is a little bit of a side story, but I'm a triathlete and I love it. I'm not really good at it, you know, but but I but I really enjoy it. And as you probably know, the swim is the first part of the race. So I was swimming, and when you race, you all are given a certain color cap. And the reason is the swimmers are going in waves, and they want to distinguish, you know, which wave of swimmers is swimming at any given time. Well, I had, for some reason, thought that I was wearing a blue cap when, in fact, I was wearing a red cap. As I got in the water, I saw all these blue swimmers quite a bit in front of me, not realizing I was actually a red cap swimmer. Now, I'm not that great a swimmer. But all of a sudden now, I caught up to those blue swimmers. I did not think I was capable of doing that. I don't know if my mindset sort of switched or I was optimizing myself in some way. But I'm wondering, have you, have you had experiences like that? So I would say, first of all, that does sound like it fits very well with the literature on expectation effects within sports. So we know that um, actually people do tend to like race quicker when they're um, against competitors than when they're racing alone, even if they're still trying to beat their kind of personal record. You know, it's not just motivation. It's something about having people ahead of you that are kind of showing you what is possible that helps you to race quicker. And it sounds like something very similar was happening uh, to you in that case. I mean, in, in my own life, I would say actually I had like quite bad experiences of physical education at school, you know, and had always had this perception of not being that sporty, and I assumed that was just a kind of genetic predisposition. And then I think learning about the expectation effect, I started to question those assumptions. And I think that's really important for understanding the expectation effect. It's not like I was imagining that I'm suddenly going to win a gold medal or, you know, setting an unrealistic goal for myself. But I just started questioning, like, am I really actually naturally bad at exercise or is that just a kind of negative expectation and I found that actually just questioning that assumption then like really helped me to like enjoy exercise a lot more and to improve my performance at the gym quite rapidly so it just made the whole experience feel much easier more natural and I think again that's a a combination of some subjective changes but I think also from the scientific evidence that I've seen, it was also changing my physiology. It was maybe meaning that I was a bit more efficient physiologically as I was working out. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because you also talk about the placebo effect. 
And you talk about it in very specific terms with regard to medications, things for pain. Can you explain the relationship between the expectation effect and the placebo effect? Yeah, absolutely. So I would just say that the placebo effect is an example of the expectation effect. You know, for decades now, we've known that the placebo effect is a real phenomenon and that often it comes with um, physiological change that sometimes mimic the kind of drugs that the placebo is replacing. So if you take a placebo painkiller, that can actually encourage the brain to produce its own endogenous opioids. So you're changing the neurochemistry just through the power of belief, not through having ingested an actual chemical that's going to change the brain's chemistry. So that, for me, kind of it provides this foundation. Like We know it works, and we've known for a long time that it works in medicine. I think what the new research really shows is that actually it's not just like when you're taking a dummy pill, that actually our expectations are changing our physiology, you know, when we're working out, when we're dieting, over a long time, over the lifetime, our expectations of aging are even changing, kind of how the body is changing and adapting to to old age. And on the other hand, you also talk about the nocebo effect. So placebo on one side, nocebo on the other side. What, What is nocebo? Yeah, so the nocebo is really the opposite of the placebo effect. So where whereas the kind of word placebo in Latin originally meant um, I shall please, nocebo means I shall harm. And essentially this is showing that when our, this is describing how our negative expectations can kind of create illness. So one really common example of this is um, within medicine that our expectations of side effects can often create the side effects themselves. And we know that because in every clinical trial, you have people taking a placebo pill. And so what you'll find is that even these people taking these inert pills, they're not only kind of experiencing the positive effects, but they're also experiencing things like the nausea or headaches or fainting spells that you might expect from the active pill itself. And this is like so common, actually. I've I've read one study that showed that probably Um, at least 50% of all reported side effects of any drugs are caused by the nocebo effect. So, you know, if you could eliminate that within medicine, you're actually relieving a lot of suffering. You dealt with this personally too, right? Absolutely. And I was going through a kind of tough time in my life and I started taking antidepressant pills and they kind of seemed to be working for relieving my mood. But I was also experiencing these really bad migraines. At the same time, I was writing this article about the nocebo effect. And, you know, so while I was researching that article, I actually came across this statistic that there was a good chance that my headaches were actually just caused by expectation. And what I I found out was that when you're reframing these expectations. It's not like I was performing some kind of visualization or telling myself a kind of healing mantra. I was actually just looking at it very rationally based on the scientific evidence in front of me. And that in itself was enough to uh, remove the nocebo effect from my life. After the break, we're going to talk about how we can apply all of this to our pandemic expectations. Plus, we're going to give you the tools you need to put David's research into action. But first, I have a request for you. We're working on an upcoming episode all about memory. And I want to hear your thoughts on the topic. Specifically, what is a contested memory that you and a loved one remember very differently? Record a voice memo? Send it to asksanjay at cnn.com 
Or you can leave us a message the good old-fashioned way. Just call 470-396-0832. We might even include your story on the podcast. Welcome back to Chasing Life, and more of my conversation with science writer David Robson. You know, when you think about where we are sort of as a world right now, living through the pandemic, most of us had high hopes for 2021, but then we're disappointed about how things have turned out. Now that 2022 is here, how, how do you recommend people set expectations going forward? Yeah, I mean, that's something I really wrestled with. So I actually started writing this book like as soon as Britain's first lockdown uh, began. So it was very much on my mind. There's like, how do you reframe situations that are inherently kind of uncertain and scary and stressful? Um, And so there's some really powerful work from Stanford University that looks at our interpretations of the feeling of stress in particular Now, you can either see it as kind of this debilitating thing that's kind of only going to cause you harm, or you can see stress as this uncomfortable feeling that can actually be a kind of motivator, a source of energy. Um, And so I think just bearing that in mind, that you can own an emotion and accept that emotion, but you don't have to see it as being inherently dangerous or damaging. That can be really helpful. And that certainly helped me, you know, having suffered from anxiety and depression in the past. Like, I actually found that reframing my emotions in those ways during the lockdown actually did provide this kind of buffer, I guess, to the stresses of what was happening in the world around me. So, you know, I felt low, I felt scared, I felt isolated, but I felt like actually I functioned a lot better with those emotions, taking that mindset, than I would have if I was constantly kind of catastrophizing the feelings and kind of feeling scared of the feelings themselves. When people think about expectation effect and and they want to now go and test this out for themselves in some way. How would you recommend that they do that? Mm, I mean, there's so many different forms of the expectation effect, but one that I just find really powerful concerns dieting. Um, And, you know, especially at this time of year, I think, you know, lots of us maybe indulged a lot during the uh, holiday period, and then maybe we're trying to lose a few pounds. And what the science shows is that a lot of the diet foods that we eat, you know, they're labeled like low fat, skinny-licious, sensible health shake, you know, all of these things that don't actually sound that appealing or appetizing or satisfying. And that's creating this kind of negative expectation effect. So it's setting the body up to feel like it's not going to be to receive the nutrition that it needs uh, to be satisfied, to be healthy. And so the body kind of goes into slightly into this kind of starvation response, like it actually changes its hormonal response, um, things like the hunger hormone ghrelin, once you've eaten a kind of health food that's presented in that way, like, you know, it still stays high. It's still like telling you to eat more because the brain has perceived that you're not getting enough nutrition. And what you want to do is to eat the foods that feel, they might be lower calories than what you're usually eating, but you want to make sure that they're still delicious, exciting, appetizing, you know, things that you can get really excited about eating. I want to ask about something else that I think about a lot, Here's an interesting thing. Let me just tell you. So I'm a measurer, maybe to a fault. And what I found, interestingly enough, was that there'd be nights when I'd wake up in the morning and if you were to ask me, how did I sleep? I would say that I I feel like I slept pretty well. But then I'd look at my sleep tracker and it would say that I hadn't. I hadn't gotten enough deep sleep. I was more restless than I would have otherwise thought. So 
should I be doing this? I mean, is this is this a good idea to be tracking my sleep or is my own perception of my sleep quality more important? Mm. What we do know is that you have this kind of group of people called the complaining good sleepers. So they might get eight hours sleep a night, but they always feel like they needed more. They, you know, they might wake up for like a few minutes in the night, but they kind of exaggerate this in their minds to being like that they were awake half the night. Um, You have other people who are the total opposite. They're the non-complaining bad sleepers. So they, you know, might have like some sleep loss, but they just, they're fine with it. Like they kind of accept that they've got enough rest to kind of function in the day. And what you find is that that becomes an expectation effect. It creates this self-fulfilling prophecy. So when it comes to things like measures of concentration or fatigue, it's the complaining uh, good sleepers who suffered the effects of sleep loss. Well, it's the non-complaining bad sleepers who actually are, you know, functioning pretty fine and they're they're really sharp during the day. So we need to actually question, you know, are my perceptions of my sleep being really objective? Because the science says they're probably not. What should people do? Because this is such a big topic, right? I mean, the and I think I'd put myself sort of in this category of the non-complaining bad sleeper, um, which is not, by, by the way, a source of pride. For a long time, I used to brag about my ability to function with little sleep. I am not that person anymore. I, I realize how important sleep is, and I make it a priority. What would you recommend then when you think about expectation effect and sleep? I think we should all try to kind of get as much sleep as we can, because we do know that sleep is incredibly beneficial and important for our health. So I'm definitely not saying we should just like um, only sleep for like five hours a night and not worry about it. But I think what the problem here is when people are generally sleeping pretty well and you have like one bad night and you kind of catastrophize that experience and you have all of these assumptions that you just can't function the next day, that you're going to feel fatigued, you're going to feel awful, you're going to be crabby with your family you know, just question those assumptions because the scientific research shows that actually that is not inevitable. One of the areas that I'm fascinated with is aging. You seem to suggest that there is some truth to the adage that you're only as old as you feel. How does the expectation effect impact aging, do you think? I mean, this was something that completely blew my mind when I discovered this research. And, you know, I think what like the result, the conclusion that you're only as young as you feel, um, that in itself was mind-blowing. But also the quality of the research is like incredible. So there have just been multiple studies. They've tried to measure people's attitudes to ageing. So say even in middle age, you know, they're asking people, like, do you expect um, to experience like um, disability and decline when you age? Will things automatically get worse as you age? You know, what words do you associate with ageing, kind of dependence or independence, you know, being valued or not being valued, all of these things. That helps you to measure people's overarching kind of views of the ageing process. They track these people's health over decades, and they found that the people who had the negative expectations of ageing, they lived for about seven and a half years less than the people with the positive expectations, so huge difference in life expectancy. Now that I didn't expect. That's simply amazing. Something as simple as changing your mindset could add that many years to your life. What's important here is that the beliefs could change the risk of dementia, even if someone had a genetic disposition to dementia. So someone with a high-risk gene, if they had positive beliefs, would actually like not be so likely to 
experienced Alzheimer's disease, which I find incredible. It's almost overriding the luck of the genetic lottery. Um, You know, all other kinds of illnesses like uh, cardiovascular disease, all of these things actually are affected by people's ageing beliefs. Now, here's what you need to know. We can all apply the expectation effect in big and small ways. In fact, David even had a few tips to offer. I think the, the first thing you just have to ask yourself is, like, what's the actual objective evidence for this kind of assumption about yourself or your situation? So is there any reason to think you're, like, unable to do exercise, to enjoy a workout? Or is that just a kind of uh, something that you've learned uh, from other people? Tip number two, own your own feelings. There's no point in pretending you're not feeling stressed and you're not, you know... Trying to suppress those feelings is only going to backfire. That small shift in expectation can really improve people's performance on things like public speaking. You know, they show fewer nerves and their, you know, cardiovascular response, all of these physiological things to change so that they're not, they're feeling kind of pumped up, but they're not feeling scared. It's not, it's not so debilitating anymore. It's actually like, you know, it's giving you that edge. Tip number three, harness the power of rituals. Performing a ritual can kind of uh, help you to create the sense that you have kind of control over your situation, that there's more order in your situation. And I think that's why, like, all kinds of athletes like um, Rafael Nadal or Serena Williams, you know, have all of these um, rituals before they go on court, because it helps them to kind of get in the right mindset to kind of perform at their best. You know, like, I try to now create this um, sense of ritual when I'm making a coffee, you know, like, I just try to make it feel a bit more special and meaningful to me. And then, as the research suggests, that actually then just leaves me feeling a bit more in control throughout the day, you know, a bit more focused, a bit more in charge. So, you know, ritual is a way of, like, reinforcing expectations. Tip number four... Stay realistic. We don't expect miracles overnight, but you might find that over, you know, weeks or months, that actually really profound changes are possible just by kind of constantly questioning whether you're being overly negative about the different elements of your life. And so what's important, I think, here is that, again, you look for, like, incremental kind of changes. So can you do more exercise than you think? Can you just try to walk, like, a few hundred more steps each day and see how you feel when you do that? So I think that's what I'm kind of asking people to do, and that's what the science is showing that we can do. If you do want to learn more about this, you should check out David's new book. It's called The Expectation Effect how your mindset can change your world. And it comes out February 15th. In a way, the expectation effect is a lot like setting resolutions, productive ones that last more than just a few days. So as we begin this new year, we can take a page out of David's book and use the expectation effect to make positive changes in our lives. As I was thinking about this interview, I decided I wanted to create some expectations for myself this year. I really wanted to harness the expectation effect. And besides the usual things of building stronger relationships with my family, being more present for them, eating better, sleeping better, all those things, I also wanted a few very specific things. I want to learn how to paint. I've never been a very good artist. And kind of like David has this sort of dread of public speaking, I always had a dread of trying to create art, but I'm going to start doing that. And along the same lines, I'm going to start doing things with my non-dominant hand this year. 
I've read a lot of research about the fact that using your non-dominant hand can activate all these different parts of your brain. So one of the things I'm trying to do is play the guitar left-handed. I'm right-handed. People say it can't be done, but maybe I'll defy them with my own expectation effect. Wish me luck. But whether you're trying to get better sleep or get fit, expectations are going to shape your experience in surprising ways. Always remember that. Set the expectations. Be realistic. But don't be afraid either. They can empower us to create the lives we want for ourselves. I'm going to be really curious to hear if you use David's tips in your own life and how you do so. So drop me a line and let me know. Record a voice memo, send it to asksanjay at cnn.com, or leave us a message the old-fashioned way. Just call 470-396-0832. We might even include your story on the next podcast. Now, you might remember a while back when we had an episode about recovery and resilience, we talked about one of my podcast producers, Anne, and her experience with a traumatic brain injury, or TBI. I have to tell you, Anne's story really did strike a chord with listeners. Hi, Dr. Gupta. My name is Shelly, and I work in San Diego, California, with patients with TBI. I work in an outpatient program, and last week I used your episode uh, titled In the Blink of an Eye with Anne's experiences after her TBI. The patients loved it. There was so much they felt they had in common with Anne's experiences, and they loved being able to share with one another those similarities, and it really validated what they're going through, why they're going through it, and the importance of sticking with it really helped to kind of keep motivating them. Thanks, as always, to everyone who called in and emailed. Please keep those messages coming. We'll be back next Tuesday with a very interesting episode that looks at the science behind how we perceive time during the pandemic. Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is executive producer. Zoe Saunders is the senior producer. Our podcast is produced by Jordan Gasparre, Emily Liu, Xavier Lopez, Isoke Samuel, and Grace Walker. Our production assistant is Allison Park. Our intern is Eduardo Ocampo. Our medical writer, Andrea Kane. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Rafina Ahmad, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.